Welcome to First Aid Copites, a podcast for Delaware's Liverpool supporters and their friends. Hey, it's December 29th and we've reached the halfway stage in the season's Premier League. Uh, welcome to the latest edition of the show. I'm Paul and I'm joined by Justin. Uh, we are going to talk about the the 18th and 19th games against Arsenal at home uh, and Burnley away. And then we'll look ahead to Newcastle and maybe take a wider perspective given Liverpool have reached the halfway stage and are two points clear at the top of the league. Um, yeah, uh, Who needs to lead at Christmas? That is the question. Why don't we start part one with the Arsenal? Um, it was 1-1. Uh, we didn't have the greatest start in this game, um, but I, I do think it was a pretty solid performance and uh, I don't think Arsenal could have complained if they'd gone away uh, losing this one. Um, XG was really close, a 0.98 to 0.9 in, in kind of one of the places I went and looked at this, uh, but it felt like in the second half, there should really have only been one winner. Um uh, we, can, we can divert into this. I mean, I think there's a lot of narrative in the London press around uh, how fantastic Rice is and and how Saliba, I think somebody actually said this just today, is the best centre-back in the world. Um, I, I mean, just, uh, yeah, the, the hype is unbelievable. Um, so I guess they had to tell a narrative of this being a game where Arsenal held out against the marauding Reds. Uh, so uh, where, where do you want to begin, Justin? Uh, I mean, I would just like to congratulate Arsenal on their 1-1 win. It comes off the back of a nil-nil win by Manchester United. Um, I mean, look, these are, without trying to go too much onto the United match, because, you know, the tree falls in a forest and nobody hears it, doesn't make a sound. Um, Arsenal were, they're, they're fine. They're a good team. Everybody's trying to make Arsenal happen. I know I said this in the, uh, in our, in our, in our uh, group chat, but I think everybody's trying to make Arsenal happen to an extent that might be a little bit overegged. And I think it's because, you know, creating the entire premise of Liverpool has it down here, comes back in and, oh, it's Klopp and Guardiola again. After a while, that's boring, right? Yeah. You in, in order to keep interest, you need fresh storylines and Arteta being a Guardiola acolyte and coming up as this manager who has Arsenal playing in an attractive manner and, you know, um, you know, bringing his former club to back to prominence is an attractive media um, story. And I will say this, I think Arsenal are good, right? Like I, I have a personal loathing for Arteta, so I don't really want to compliment him, but I will go as far as this. He made them better. They are a bona fide Champions League side. Yeah. It wouldn't shock me if they actually go far in that competition this season because I think the Champions League is rather weak this year. Yeah. I think they've marginally improved from last season, but I think in order for them to actually win the league and potentially the Champions League, they need more than marginal improvement. They needed significant improvement, and they haven't gotten that. And it feels like pissed off city supporters when Liverpool was really good, which is, oh, Liverpool have the best player in every position, right? Because it was like, oh, they have the best keeper. They have yeah. the best center back. They have the best forward, right? Nobody ever said that we had the best midfielder, except for maybe they said Fabinho was the best six, right? Yeah. But the whole point, and oh, we had the two best fullbacks. Everybody's trying to pull up the same thing about Arsenal. And, you know, I know that we're probably going to get to this in the agenda, so I'll just rip the Band-Aid off now. Saliba is the best center back in the world, as you brought up. He's not. It's, it's Virgil van Dijk. It's... Last season, maybe not. Maybe it wasn't Virgil van Dijk. Maybe it was someone else. 
It was probably Bestoni at Inter Milan, but nobody wants to have that conversation that the best player at some position could actually be residing outside the Premier League. You know, we people can actually take a gaze outside and maybe occasionally look at Italy or Spain. Sorry, Haitham. Uh, but, you know, it's uh, it's possible to look at other leagues and be like, wow, there's a, there's good players there, too. Um, you know, the, 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 the world doesn't revolve around the Premier League. Saliba's a good player. Like, I, I don't want to sit here and shit on Saliba. I don't want to sit here and shit on Declan Rice. They're both good footballers. But they are victims of hype. And like Bayaka Saka and Gabriel Martinelli, also victims of hype. And if you want to actually look at where Arsenal's biggest um, issue is right now, and I know I probably said this the last time I think we spoke about Arsenal, is I don't know where their goals come from, yeah. right? Bayaka Saka, I think, has five goals on the season. Gabriel Martinelli, Gabriel Martinelli had 20 goal, involvements, 20 goal involvements last season. He has four right now. Like... The drop off in the in the in the in the creativity and the scoring departments are um, ultimately going to be what might what what might undo this team because they've improved defensively but they've fallen back to the earth uh, from an attacking perspective and right now with them it's if you know no set piece no joy which is a tough way to go because you need to be ruthless on set pieces but you also need to be ruthless from open play and going you know, if you want to go back to Liverpool ruthlessness from open play i would have loved to see trent alexander arnold not hit the crossbar us walk out of that up 2-1 and at this point in the season you know assuming that you know we beat burnley and they lose to west ham we have a five-point cushion at the top of the table over them and we have a larger cushion over city who you know what that's the team i'm afraid of it's not arsenal if we're going to win the league we have to be better than city it's not we have to be better than arsenal so so let's round out the um the arsenal chats yeah over half their goals have come from set pieces um you're right about Saka. He scored five Premier League goals. Martinelli only has two Premier League goals, and the other two come in uh, Champions League. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, so I mean, he really has fallen off a cliff, Martinelli, right? Because he was in double figures last year. I can't remember exactly what he, he scored. 15, he had 15 in the league last year. Wow. Yeah. So two by halfway is, gosh, uh, 15 and five in the league last year. I know because I was looking this up in the argument that I was just having with Sean in our group chat about Arsenal. So you know. It's a, I, get to, I get to say everything again, which is my feelings about the fact that they've marginally improved in a season where for them to win the title, they would have actually needed significant improvement. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're 10 points worse off as well at the same stage as last year. Yeah, that, um, that one, I, I like, I understand that people like looking at points totals as kind of a uh, a marker of where you are or where you aren't, but it's, it's comparing two separate leagues, right? I, I don't really, I don't really view it as much of a, an issue with them being 10 points better or worse, because I do think it's a tougher league. Yeah. Um, Villa's better. West Ham, well, it was a similar, same, same result last year, but you know, you, you get where I'm going. It is a tougher league and that tougher league is forcing tougher outcomes for them. Yeah. I think the other, the other thing that I'd, I'd add is I, th- I think when they um, played last year, they blew away a lot of the lesser teams because yeah. they're scoring more goals, the way they're set up now, they're probably more competitive against the top six. I, you know, they beat City at home, they hadn't beaten City before, but I think it's made it more difficult for them against teams uh, like West Ham, for example, who are quite happy to let them have the ball and defend in this kind of mid to low block uh, and then hit them on the break. Uh, just felt like what I mean, we don't need to dwell too much on, on Arsenal anymore, but just finishing off with their loss to West Ham. 
I mean, it felt like the kind of game West Ham have played a number of times this season against better opposition. Um, and they've they've hit, just basically hit people on the break and defended very solidly. Yeah, I mean, I watched I watched the second half of that game because I was out for the first half. And yeah. granted, it seemed like you know West Ham giving a David Moyes side a lead um, is, is probably not the way in which you want to go about playing a David Moyes side because it allows him to say, you know what. I coach my teams to be able to suck up as much pressure as possible yeah, and then go on the break. And to be perfectly honest, that's at no point in the second half that I would I sit there and be like, Oh, Arsenal really have a guilt edge chance of scoring here. Right. They were able to work the ball into the box, but then it's basically, you know, 40 touches in the box, but how many of them were actually threatening? Not very many. Yeah. Like they got rope doped. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So enough on them. Um, and because I think that was quite a solid performance in Liverpool. They looked a bit, we looked a bit disjointed, I think, against United. Um, uh, you know, I think there were some mitigating circumstances uh, around that. But uh, I thought the performance in the first half, Arsenal could argue maybe they were better. But then there's the Odegaard handball, um, which I, I'm, st- I'm still struggling with the explanation uh, around that. I don't think the officials are covering themselves in any form of glory by trying to explain that. You can just, I feel like if they admit that they got something else wrong against Liverpool this season, they'd be giving more fuel to Klopp's uh, grievance. And the fact that the official who's looking at that is David Coote, you know, a man who's already done quite a bit of damage to Liverpool in the past is problematic, right? I, I think it's, you know, Kavanaugh, I think, is actually an okay official, right? I think he's he's not terrible, right? As far as, like, the guys of the Premier League goes, Chris Kavanaugh is one of the ones I have less is- fewer issues with than most, right? Fair enough, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Coop, Coop makes an obvious mistake. It, VAR, VAR has to call that a handball. Any sort of situation within which um, – I don't even care if Odegaard's falling down, Right. That is, a, he's using his hand to take away an, an attacking advantage. It's a, it's a, that's the reason the handball rule exists. So I think it's a, I think it's a ridiculous call. I thought Arsenal was better than us for 15 minutes. Yep. And then I thought that uh, we pounded them into, we pounded them for the next 50 or so. And then the game became more even after our subs. Um, but even then, they didn't create anything. Like they didn't scare me. No. After their goal, what did they do? They, the XG in the second half was 0.19 uh, Arsenal. Yeah. Um, there, there was some talk about uh, Martinelli. I, I found this confusing. I watched it back, but beforehand I'd read about. Well, Martinelli had an open goal. I'm like, did I miss where? This? When? Well, it was it was at like uh, 43 minutes, and it's when Canate got back and blocked his his shot. Uh, I mean. You know, I guess he could have hit it first time, but but it wasn't an open goal because Allison was there. Let's start with that, uh, and then Canati came across and blocked it as he did for lots of what Martinelli tried to do uh, in that game. Thought Canati uh, uh, had a pretty solid uh, match against him. Not probably not the kind of person Martinelli wants to face. Yeah, yeah. I actually want to have a moment about Ibu in that match, mm-hmm. right? Because William Saliba, who we discussed already, came away with the, with the man of the match there. They gave it to the wrong French guy. <laughs> right. Like, Ibu Kanate was absolutely incredible in that match and um, continues to be underrated because of the fact that he doesn't look as, like, silky and athletic as some other guys. Yeah. But he just overpowers everybody, and he doesn't 
concede very many fouls in doing so. Like he's bigger, stronger, faster. And I feel like it's just the whole, um, the fact that it doesn't look like graceful or elegant when he's on the ball that uh, just distracts people. It's like a little bit of like, it's a little bit feels almost like uh, the way in which people uh, kind of slated Mamadou Sako for his awkward and gangliness on the ball. Like, I don't know, super tall guys don't look really elegant doing certain things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they can't. Like, Ibu doesn't give the ball away cheaply. He's a decent dribbler. You know, his like he's not Virgil van Dyke as far as his use of the ball. There's a reason for that. Nobody's Virgil van Dyke except for Virgil van Dyke. Like Ibu yeah. Ibu deserves his due for being just an exceptional defender. And um I just feel like people need to stop uh the same conversation I also have often about, you know, on our attacking end, Diogo Jota. You, you can you can go with substance over style. It's fine. Like it doesn't necessarily matter sometimes how things look. It matters how effective they are. Yeah. And well, we'll get on to talk about Diogo Jota in uh, in the part two when we talk about the Burnley game. But did did want to quickly as well acknowledge um, that the the goal from Salah it was quite quietly like very very good. It's his two hundred and second for Liverpool, so twenty six behind Billy Little. Let's keep this count going. Past Alan Shearer for past Alan Shearer's uh, goal total with I believe Newcastle. Oh wow, I did not know that. Um, yeah, well, he scored 149 now in the league for Liverpool. Yeah, Shearer had 148 with Newcastle. It does make me wonder whether, you know, like a couple of shots he's had in the game in the subsequent one. Uh, I guess the 90 minutes at Burnley and the 50 or whatever 60 in the uh, game against Arsenal, whether. It's in his head. He the next goal is his hundred and fiftieth in the league for Liverpool, because um, I thought he snatched a couple of things in uh, in both those games. Well, you know, if there's if there's ever a time to score, it would be right before you go on Afcon duty. Because um, if history is any sort of uh, guide, if he doesn't score before he goes on Afcon, we're not seeing him score again until April. So, yeah, <laughs> I hope I'm wrong there. <laughs> Which would well the, the other thing that that might mean is uh, Egypt doesn't score any goals and they'll be he'll be home quickly, um, yeah. Because so, uh, if he doesn't score goals, you wouldn't imagine Egypt are going to progress far in the Afcon tournament. What else is there? Um, you, you you said about Liverpool um, were in control uh, after the first 15, fifteen minutes. I haven't watched the, again the game back. The second half before the Trent miss. It just felt like a goal, you know, even though I knew a goal wasn't coming, it felt like watching it, a goal was bound to come. Like we had chances with Salah, Diaz, Gomez, and Elias. Um, certainly the Salah and Diaz ones, I didn't think they were very composed in uh, taking in those shots. But um, it, it, it was really dominant performance. And had it been the other way around, uh, I can only imagine, you know, how many glowing column inches there would have been written about that performance. Um, yeah, there's another thing that I want to bring up about it too, very briefly, which is everybody likes, you know, everybody loves talking about Declan Rice and his influence on the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, why not Trent Alexander Arnold, who was by far the most threatening player on the pitch at any time he touched the ball? Like, granted that obviously there's the miss, but that pass to Mo is incredible. He had a bunch of other line breaking passes that completely and totally took them out of the game. And 
you know, he was fantastic, but we should also talk about what facilitated him in that match, which was a stormer from both Wataru Wendo and Curtis Jones. Yeah. Love it. I, I, th- I think uh, quietly, uh, Endo has quieted our own um, kind of segment of our own fan base that decided he wasn't good enough two months ago. Um, but 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 he seems to have had no attention whatsoever from from anybody outside Liverpool circles. Uh, I, I like one thing about him a lot, which is he wears a mouth guard, or as they call him in the UK, a gum shield before yes. every single that he puts on before matches. And when he talked about why, he's like, "Well, it gets me ready to know what, to do what I have to do." Like you know, knowing that his game his game is not going to be one of uh, of a, of elegance or a lack of force. Yeah. Although he's surprisingly creative, like uh, yes, yeah. I mean, he there was a there was an interception he made, which I think set up the Salah chance, which I thought was really super super effective. Um, yeah, well, I, I don't think we can. Um, well, obviously, both Salah and Endo are going to be gone for most of January, which is not uh, it's not ideal. No, no. Um, but yes, good performances in big games. Um, really, be interesting to see if we can put out a good team in the, the return fixture in February. Um, I think, um, yeah, I'd fancy our chances of, of getting three points there. Uh, a couple of other moments that I thought were, were really worth calling out. <clears throat> um, Virgil obviously has decided the best way to approach the officials is, is to mock them and not fall foul of any rules. I don't know if you noticed in the 53rd minute where he got a foul given against him, which wasn't a foul, he was fouled. <clears throat> he suggested that Kavanagh had been drinking. Um, to make that decision, and I don't use the holidays, so you know. I I guess so. I guess so. But um, he didn't get yellow carded, and I'm guessing it falls between some sort of lines. Um, the, you did say Kavanaugh is kind of one of the most even-handed, but like he booked Mo Salah. Who does that? I didn't say he, didn't say he was good. <laughs> it's it's like, like grading on a it's grading on a curve. It, you're right. You're right. And and if you look at the big chance curve from the Tompkins, Paul Tompkins work, then Kavanaugh is like neutral, um, which which is not great because all of the other top six, top six teams have big chances in their favor. So for us to be neutral is is is, is not great. But it's certainly not Paul Tierney territory. I, other thing about Kavanaugh, that weird interaction with him and Arteta at the end of the game, like they were long lost friends. Did you see that? I did. I, I'm. Tr- I don't want to read too much into it because if I do, like the tinfoil hat I'll put on might get like you know get multiple layers. I'll end up with a tinfoil version of like the crown jewels. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it just, it, it just seemed inappropriate. Actually, I think that it did not seem like it was on the up and up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, that's had lots of. Oh, wait a minute. No, it hasn't. Hasn't had any attention this week. Um, we should probably leave part one there, uh, and we'll get back to more uh, kind of negativity about uh, referees in part two. Um, yeah, so 1-1, uh, not a terrible result, but but could easily have been so much better uh, with one or two bounces of the ball, um, including the one that hit the hand going in our favour. So we'll end part one there. Welcome back to part two of First Day Copites. Uh, we're going to talk um, probably relatively briefly about Burnley uh, nil, Liverpool 2, uh, which sounds in some senses comfortable, but doesn't feel anywhere near as comfortable as it felt like it could have been after 45 minutes. 
Um, surprisingly low XG in there. So ours was only 1.98. Uh, theirs was 0.74. Um, um, but obviously that didn't include the two goals that we had disallowed, which I'm sure we will talk about. Feels like though their chances were inflated because I don't recall they did not feel like 0.74 is not fantastic, but they didn't even feel that threatening. And there was one in the first half where um, the the guy was running through and I think it was four on three and Virgil left a gap for him to shoot. Um, meanwhile, covering off one of the passing lanes. Yeah, Virgil dared him to try to run past him and shoot. And he... Yeah, and he, he shoots and it's it's way over. And it's like, this this is the magic combination, right? It's like Virgil says, go ahead and have a shot at that goalie, but you only got half the goal to aim at. And yeah. lo and behold. He also shot himself. He saw it's like, yeah. oh, I'm shooting at Virgil. I'm running at Virgil Van Dyke with Allison Becker behind me. This isn't going to be great. I mean, it's like there, there is a certain fear factor that those two carry. And I think Virgil had lost that aura of invincibility a little bit of points last season, but it's um, it's back. Um, so, yeah, yeah, good luck. Because we all know what um, an inform and invincible Virgil Van Dyke can do to a Liverpool side. Yeah, oh, I mean, I, I think the season already he's been incredible, but that really did feel like another Sissoko moment. Yeah, where it was, uh, go ahead, have a shot. <laughs> like you're you're shooting this, you're, yeah. you're, your forward's yeah. not getting this. You're shooting this. Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, I don't blame him because I mean, look, the way Burnley play kind of suits us, right? They they try to play between yeah. the lines. It's just also that they're the biggest difference between players in the championship and players in the Premier League is the level of quality that exists in both boxes. And Burnley don't have that. They're, they have a, maybe some, they have some young players who are good. They have some players who are maybe PL level talents in their midfield, but they don't have a, they don't have midfield set. They don't have a Premier level center back. They don't have Premier level forwards. And the thing that kept them in the game was young Trafford uh, playing very well. And a couple of, Couple of decisions and and Paul Tierney. And yeah. Paul Tierney. I, let's let's get into the decisions. So we might yeah. as well just discuss them now. First one is it's not a foul on Darwin right. Nunez. It's not a foul. Darwin Darwin never Darwin touches the ball. It's a perfectly good goal for Cody Gagbo. The second one, look, I understand why they've given it offsides because Mo is in an offside position. But there's two things that you kind of got to pack play into this. He's pushed into that offside yep. position, and the keeper is going. The keeper's already moving in the other direction, so it's just like, is he even interfering with that phase of play? Because it's a very good finish from Hartley, um, and it's a really good pass from Gravenberg. And actually, at that point in the game, neither of them had played that well, so I kind of really wanted that moment for both of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought it was. Um, I thought that those two decisions. Which is, you know, two goals and probably if you add them both up, probably another 0. 0.75 of XG. Um yeah, I thought I thought both of them were fine. Thought both of them should have, should have stood. Yeah. Um I think the fact that that game went one one was one nil for as long as it was was largely down to tyranny. And I think that so I'm cautious about these kinds of things because I don't really think in certain situations they matter, right? Um, but Tierney, that Burnley got a lift after that second goal was disallowed. Tierney absolutely just put them back into the match. Yeah. And what you don't want is the referee changing the match in a way in that manner. 
You don't want the referee putting a team back into a match because of a wrong call. Yeah. Yeah. Did I uh, see that it was Simon Hooper on VAR? Yep, you would be correct. Oh, God. Yeah, well, there we go. And there's another one, right, who has now decided that he hates us too. Because he was fine at the when he started his career, but uh, I don't know what was Spurs game that compelled him, but he's given some dodgy stuff since. Um, it, it, it did strike me, if I'm a Burnley player, it's like, he's never going to score a second goal because Tini's just going to continue to rule them out. You know, that what a lift that is. We only need, you know, we, we only need like half a chance here to get back in the game. Yeah, I mean, and look, some of it was bad finishing. With our finishing, I'm sometimes a little unsure how much of it's bad finishing and how much of it's variance. I think it's probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, Darwin's goal was really nice. And still, Darwin managed, even though he scored, to frustrate the hell out of me because, you know, there, he had an open goal that if he was just a bit more attentive to pounce on, it's 2-0 in the first half and we're home and dry within 45 minutes because really what we needed was – a very low intensity game to hit cruise control on. And that's not what we got. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Although he was able to make, uh, I think enough changes to mean that, you know, with, with five days off to Newcastle, that the players will have had more rest than had they had this been like two weeks ago when they were playing every three days. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and it's good also because I think what we need to see against Newcastle is really going to have to be Endo, Dom and Curtis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I think uh, we've talked about this before. I think whenever Curtis has played uh, with a regular run of games, it's felt like he our performances have just generally been better because he exerts a level of influence on the game that when you have both uh, Soboslai and Gravenberg playing, it, it doesn't ever quite look that way. Yeah, it's it's like Gravenberg and Soboslai shouldn't play together because they don't balance each other. Yeah. Whereas Curtis and I imagine Alexis would as well also balance what Sobosly wants to do and allow Sobosly to be the the attacking midfielder, which is what you want him doing. We don't want him like look, look, I know that he's like a cyborg physically and can carry a lot of water for a lot of different players, but I want him marauding forward, right? Let other people do the legwork because he's the one who's most likely to do something spectacular at the other end of our midfielders. Like we've seen it, you know, he he's the long range strikes in the league cup, the yeah. long range strikes in the, and then, you know, the, the two, the two goals he has in the Premier league are also bangers as well. Like if anything, the thing we need out of him is probably a bit more output around yeah. the goal. Yeah. So I did see some stats actually, just to get a slight diversion now that which suggested that Liverpool are shooting uh, average shot distance is further away from the goal this season um, than it has been in recent seasons. And the, you know, one of the challenges with that is that Soboslai's shot numbers are, are like ridiculously high and the goal output from it is small, but the goals are very memorable. It Feel, feels a bit Steven Gerrard-like, frankly, but uh, um, the, I do think that, I do think taking shots from further away uh, maybe a good tactic against a low block team, but it seems like we're, we're doing it against everybody now. Uh, and it, it, it's not always the most productive thing because you, you're essentially giving the ball back if you don't score or or it, it, you just go straight out, you're giving the ball back uh, with a with a goal kick that they can delay, the opposition can delay as long as they want, it seems, um, before the ball comes back into play. Yeah, I think that's about right. Um, 
I think we do shoot from distance too much. I I, I don't I don't like it. I, I think we sh like long shots when they go in are a joy, but it, they are lower percentage. And I think that that's part of I think that's part of our pattern of play problem this season is that we're not getting the ball to our forwards in better positions to score. So we're just rela relying on sh shots from distance, which I don't love. I'd rather us just. Like I'd rather see us score the goal that Jota scored against Burnley than I would see us score the, the goal that Darwin scored against Burnley. If you catch my drift, right? Oh, like okay. it's a great finish from Darwin. It's a good setup from Gakpo and it's a nice move, but it's still, it's still a ball that's traveling through a lot of bodies. Whereas Jota, you know, it's a, it's a good finish, but he's also, he has, he, he has less to do than it seems. The angle is just against him a little bit, but like, you know, it's Diogo. I he, he's he's a lethal finisher. Um, I think part of the reason also is just that you know the lack of Jota gives us gives us a lack of certainty with some of those guys in front of the goal because mm -hmm. you know if you're thinking about it, if you were if you had to give a single Liverpool player on this team, you know, is one on is one on against the keeper, and the outcome is that if he doesn't score, you're dead. You're, you, it, it's Diogo. Every single, every Liverpool supporter is taking Diogo to finish that. No slight against Mo Salah, who scored a lot of those, but yeah. Diogo's the Diogo's lethal. This season, actually, um, he uh, Jota is up on. It's been a very interrupted season for him. He's only slightly behind Salah in terms of his kind of efficiency, uh, in terms of scoring goals on on shots. I think it's it's at something like honestly twenty percent, which is which is. Is significantly high because, like, I think it's something like Kane is like a seventeen percent goal scorer yeah. over, over the course of his career. Nobody would ever call Harry Kane um, wasteful. No, I no, agree, agree. Yeah, yeah. So, so when it, you sort of see that, is it Darwin's twelve percent or something? It's like that's not terrible. <laughs> Jota and Salah are just uh, at a completely elite level. Good to have him back. Um, uh, for sure, I do wonder, and and this is something to do with the the taking the long shots. Whether we still need to work on some of the kind of triangles that that like the 18, 19, 19, 20 yeah. team were really really good at. Uh, and I thought it was interesting that Diaz, who's now played uh, with Jota for what two years? We coming up two years. Um, the fact that they they combined felt like ah right so if we have more of those triangles between the fellows who know kind of more about the other players uh that might actually help us going forward which is monumental because also um diaz and diaz when he came in kind of neutralized jota quite a bit because you know he it's i mean it's it's part of the problem with diaz is he doesn't create for anybody else like his 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 Diaz does um, a decent amount of shot creating actions per ninety. I think he's like a seventy seventh percentile shot creating actions per ninety kind of winger. And if you look at what that means, if you look at actually how that translates, it means that he just creates a lot of shots for himself by trying to beat a man inside and shooting the ball. Um, his x his xa his xa and then the actual output of assists is like incredibly low. Like it, it's the area of his game you'd like to see him improve most. Or in reality, take him away from situations where you're actually using him for any sort of creativity, and only put him into situations where he's there to finish off moves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it it is it is not a, a surprise. I think that a lot more chances get created when Gakpo is playing in that space. Um, yeah. Just because 
I think Gapo is an incredible footballer. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there are question marks uh, about kind of Luis Diaz. I, I, I don't think he's in the the first three if everyone's healthy uh, up front. Not, not at the moment for me. At the moment for me, it's I'm, I'm going my, the front three I'd play right now if everybody's healthy. So I'm playing Darwin off the left, Mo off the right, and Chata through the middle. Mm-hmm. I think the real question becomes what do we do when, when Mo is away and is it who's playing off the right? For me, it should be Diaz. Yeah. Play him there and have him hold with, and then just get your creativity from actually pulling Alexander Arnold more in field. Like everybody gets what they want there. Diaz can go to his right, and Alexander Arnold can. Diaz can go to his right foot all the time and not have it be problematic. Alexander Arnold can come inside because he'll have all the space he needs. Like to me, that's a problem that solves itself. I I, I doubt we'll do it though because it, it seems too obvious. Well, we've got we've had one game with where Salah didn't start in the last month um, against West Ham, and he played Elliot there, which I think yeah. is is interesting. Uh, and 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 there was no Trent, and it, they look surprising. They look surprisingly good. I think it's also. I mean, Elliot's going to be your most creative passer, like in our forward line. So I mean, okay. it's kind of using part of what Mo does, the, the creativity part, and the staying wide. It's just. Yeah. What we what we're gonna need if that happens is Darwin to actually score. Uh, Elliot, I think Elliot's output is actually starting to come up. So like you know, yeah. you might get something out of Harvey there. Well, I think if he's a few things conspire against him, even even on the numbers he's got, right? Because there was the goal against uh, Wolves that eventually got attributed as an own goal. Um, yeah. There's that one at Burnley that uh, nothing to do with him. Why they've ruled it out. So if you kind of if you look at his numbers in terms of kind of turning shots into goals. Uh, I don't think it's very high, but if you added those, if those two counted, um, th- that would take his, because the numbers are quite small, that would take him into like top five territory in terms of our players who convert shots into goals. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I'm, I would like to see, I mean, Harvey's going to play a lot there too. I just want to see Diaz also come to the right. Cause I want to see if actually moving him off the left side helps him because yeah. I think he has become predictable. He's always going to look to cut inside. Doesn't seem to trust going to his left. And I wonder how much that's hurting him also without Roberts in there. Oh, I think I think it's huge, actually. Yeah. Um, I think for anyone who's playing out on the left, uh, Gravenberg included, the patterns are harder to find without uh, without Andy Robertson. Not trying to, like, you know, take anything away from Costa Civicus, who I think did a great job until his injury. Yeah. Um, but he isn't quite as dynamic as Robertson. Yeah, no, for for sure. Better crosser from from certain positions, but just not as dynamic. Robertson has pace that that uh, I think often gets underestimated um, yeah. by people who aren't in our bubble. Um, final thing to say, actually, on Andy, Andy Robertson, I did I think Klopp said today that he may not be back till the end of January, which uh, is uh, unfortunate to say the least. Um, by a left sided, by a left footed defender, we have to. Um, yeah. I guess the question is, where do you get one from? Yeah. <laughs> Europe, I mean, Goncalo Inacio would make some sense. Um, the guy with the 50 million release clause? Yeah. I mean, I know that Inter aren't looking to sell at this exact moment, but they need money and Bastoni is potentially available. Um, oh. Like, there's there's good left-footed defenders. Um, and even though I don't know if he's left-footed or not, but Antonio Silva from Benfica as well could also be a, a useful option. We just we need another defender. The league is there for the taking, but also at the same time, like yeah. we're not going to win the league if everything is um, 
this uh, reliant on maximum health when we already have an injury crisis because those things snowball. We've seen this happen. Yep. You need, yep. you need like at some point, like I'm not, I'm not a fan of transfers for the sake of a transfer, but at this particular point, like I think it's crying out for one because I think we absolutely just we need the bodies. What would be ideal is if um, the person that's available is someone that we probably would have signed anyway next summer. Um, yeah. That would be the, the perfect way forward. Uh, yeah, I do think, um, and we'll talk a lot about this, I'm sure, in the, in the coming weeks, about uh, our, our chances of actually winning the Premier League. But it, it, it feels increasingly, since the Simicast injury, that um, which we actually didn't touch on, did we, in the Arsenal game, um, about the slyness of the uh, the Saka move there, um, yeah. W- since the Simicast injury, definitely feels like um, I don't want to have to rely on uh, Chambers or uh, or Scanlon. No, no, no. Because neither of them are ready. I mean, we saw Ch- watching Chambers against um, West Ham uh, was West Ham or I think he played against Lyon. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of him. In, I'm thinking of him in the Europa League against uh, Union Saint Gilles. Um, oh, was that one too? Yep. Yeah. yeah. He, he doesn't look like he knows how to play the position yet in our system. He no. might get there, but like, I mean, he's a tweener youth left back, left center back. And there's the possibility that he never develops enough pace to be an effective left back for us, or that we have to change how we play. And he fits an eventual stylistic change in how we use our left, our left back. But Right now, he's not ready. No. I, th- I think Scanlon has a higher upside, but he's, he's a year younger and has got less experience. Um, and it's and I don't well, so, already said don't think either of them are the answer uh, right now. So let's so that's Burnley. Uh, in the end, uh, a comfortable-ish win. Um, no thanks to Paul Tierney, who uh, I didn't mention this either. He, he, he booked Trent for what wasn't even a foul. Um, that, that feels so Tierney. Um, I think uh, did Daz say that whenever he's refereeing, you should always put money on Liverpool having the first player carded. Pretty, pretty. I think that that seems like a reasonable bet. Good bet, yeah, yeah. That's very safe bet, I think. Okay, let's end part two there, and then let's come back and look ahead. Uh, talk about Newcastle and any other business. Hey, welcome back to part three of First Day Copites. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Newcastle at home, uh, which is takes place on January 1st. Uh, so recording this on December 29th. So the league program starts tomorrow, Saturday, but we don't play till Monday. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that. And then we'll, we'll, we'll go on to talk about kind of what else is going on. Because obviously uh, uh, Liverpool, the top of the league, I think we tweeted or X this, whatever you call that thing now, Um yesterday about asking NBC who that team was at the top of the league that they barely mentioned. Um, there was a very interesting moment yesterday where uh, I think it was uh, Robbie Musto was talking about West Ham uh, and how they weren't as consistent as people were saying because they were beaten in the cup competition by, was it Manchester United? Um, oh, no, oh, no, it was uh, Liverpool. It was kind of very interesting. It's like, we're not allowed to mention Liverpool. I, I, want them, I want them to sleep on us. I actually really... I. I, I, I want them to sleep on us. I want nobody to mention us as a title contender. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm fine with this. 
find this being overlooked. Don't really have much time or, you know, this, I don't care about media narratives. I find them to be kind of just reinforcing of just dumb things. So I'm just, you know, I'm getting away from those. I'm, I'm fine with, I, I'm fine with us being overlooked. Uh, to, to a point, uh, I, I did think it was kind of annoying yesterday when it became clear that Arsenal were going to lose, that the first thing they went to was, oh, this brings City back into it. It's like, isn't, isn't there another City wasn't out of it to begin with. No, it's true. It's totally true, yeah. yeah. Um, like, they're good. Like, we can we can be honest about Manchester City being very good. We should yeah. also be honest about why. Yeah. Like, I think that that's fine. And, you know, before we get into talking about Newcastle, it seems that's probably going to have to do some form of sport washing or, you know, sport washing. I shouldn't say some form that's going to have to do, a team that is actually performing an aspect of sport washing. They might need to, uh, you know, inflate some of their books to make some purchases because they're threadbare. But we should talk very, very quickly about um, the death of irony as evidenced by supporters at the Etihad, by city supporters at Goodison going two-footed on Everton for cheating. Yeah. Does anything mean anything anymore? Or is it just like all irony is dead? So so I I, I do have a thing about uh, people from Manchester not being quite as funny as they think they are. Um, I, I could imagine some people I know from Manchester would think that was like a very funny joke. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't think it's particularly funny myself, but that's actually because I'm actually a funny person. Um, yeah. yeah. But, you know, that's just me. Yeah. Uh, well, it, 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 the, the, the phrase that comes to mind is what I've seen many times, which is there's a reason people talk about Scouse humor and they've never, ever referenced mank humor uh, as a thing. Um, yeah, Manchester City. Um, yeah, not, 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 not funny at all. But apparently um, they, they said pe- uh, the Everton fans' reaction was to laugh, which I'm assuming they were laughing at the City fans for the chant rather than finding the thing itself funny. I mean, they should be laughing at city fans for that because city fans deserve to be laughed at for that it's like is irony dead yes yeah i don't know if it's ever very much alive in that part of the world but that's uh, that might be a different different thing uh you know witness um uh, the the gallagher brothers attempt at humor um which usually doesn't turn out very well anyway let's let's move on to newcastle yeah i don't want to talk about oasis because i don't like either of them i think their music stinks Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, let's park them there. Um, yeah, <laughs> Gallagher Brothers gone, Newcastle. Um, poor Newcastle. Oh, they're, I've never, heard, I don't think I've, there's a single team I have ever heard so much stuff about, like being feeling sorry for their injuries and, um, Essentially, all all the difficult matches they've had to play in such a short space of time, they're actually not playing very well. I mean, they haven't been playing very well for a while, um, and they have had backups. Um, so, for example, I believe that on when they lost to Forest, which is it has a really bad look, right? Losing to Forest at home um, when they lost to Forest, Liveramento was on the bench and he decided to play Dan Byrne, um, who Dan Byrne, who if you didn't see the game probably was culpable for at least one of the goals, arguably more. Yeah, I mean, I think they just call that doing a trippier at this point. 
again, a poor man, been oh, been so overworked, contributed so much. Language. I think Trippier actually. I mean, I, I know I said this again in our group chat. I think Trippier is a player who finally uh, his the legs have gone. He's played forty one thousand career minutes. That's yeah. a lot. It's a hell of a lot of minutes. Jordan Henderson played fewer and his legs went. Like sometimes the legs just go. Trippier looks like a player where the legs have just gone. Yep. I mean, I'm not I have two thoughts about Newcastle coming into this match. I'm not afraid of them because of how injured they are, but I'm also afraid of them because wounded teams and wounded animals scare me. But like I think that we should be able to beat them because I also just simply don't think that they're in terrible form. They're losing just game after game. Now it's how much do these guys like it's almost like approaching the will they play for Eddie Howe portion of this. Yeah. Because you can't picture that he's gonna be much longer for that job if the results Steve keep come keep uh going away from them as much as they have. Because Newcastle's underlying numbers are good. They're a top four team by underlying numbers. Like they're actually a good football team. I that's why that's why I uh, I don't like want to go into this with too much confidence or be I don't want to say too much confidence. I don't want to go into it overconfidence. I think I think we should have confidence because I think we're better than them, and we're and we are somehow healthier than them. Like we have far fewer critical injuries, and also um, our marquee summer signing is allowed to play football. <laughs> yeah. So two two things. Uh, one is wants to cover off the fact that Newcastle appear to have attracted a large amount of sympathy, which I don't ever recall. It's not just us. It's like other teams have had injury issues uh, and people would much rather talk about crises than they would about the injury issues. So they seem to get more of a pass, I think. I think that's the one thing. Second thing is, oh, absolutely, in terms of the game, um, it, it does make me think that I mean, they'll come and play in a very similar way to the way they played last season, which is to sit really deep and try and hit us on the break. Uh, rather than trying to play that more expansive style that I think that they've ended up uh, trying to use in uh, particularly uh, in in kind of home games uh, at uh, to James's Park this season more than more than any other. Um, yeah. So I do think there's a big big risk, and I wouldn't for one be going into this going like, oh, it's a question of how many we score. Um, I, I I think I'm in the same exact place as you are. Also, because the last time I got overconfident, it was that the game ended up nil-nil. Right. Right. And 34 shots. Um, 34 shots, 33 of them were terrible. Um, but, you know, I think, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to go into it overconfident. But also at the same time, this whole thing that you're talking about, about feeling bad for Newcastle, um, I don't. Like, I, I don't feel bad for them, right? It's And, you know, we don't have to get too deeply into the reasons why I don't feel badly for them. We can just, you know, summarize it by saying, it's political. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it is a wonder to me that they haven't somehow found a, a, a Saudi Arabian linked sponsor uh, that that's afforded them more revenue that would allow them to go out and buy somebody. That, 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 uh... Well, I, I think that's going to happen in January. We might actually just be lucky in the fact that we're playing them at a point in time where even as hard as they tried, there's no way to make a transfer and basically get it registered in time to actually play for a 3 p.m. kickoff on January 1st. Yep. Like, it takes time. So we're probably lucky in that respect because I can't picture them not going into the market. The only way I can picture them not going into the market is if they're like, well, we don't – is 
um, if Eddie Howe is truly short for this job. It could also be that they, they they've not set in motion, and so, so it is possible uh, in a in a in kind of one world that they have decided that that they want to be squeaky clean around um, uh, the stuff that potentially has got Manchester City into trouble and with a certain reputation uh, for for sort of skirting the rules. Yeah, I mean, you also forgot Chelsea because the same construct with Chelsea too. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. well, that feels like a whole other. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it does strike me, and I think we may, I may have talked to Daz, with Daz about this last week, but it does strike me that Chelsea are, are, are going to be a much easier target for the Premier League once they've kind of figured out how many charges to level against them um, because there's no nation state going to be tapping the shoulder of, uh, of the British government uh, in you know, to request <laughs> explanations about, about decisions. Um, uh, yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, because, you know, Say say all the things that you want about the United States government. They're not gonna, they're not going to step in step in and set off a diplomatic row with England over Todd Bowley. Right, right. Unless Todd has connections we don't even know about. And like Abramovich, you know, uh, who's the majority of the of the Chelsea allegations occur under Abramovich to begin with. And like, I don't think it's particularly attractive any place in the, in, in the Western world to be like, yeah, let's cut a slack for Russian oligarchs, like. Their 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 uh, their time has passed. Yeah, yeah. There was a gardening piece talking about what might happen actually, and the suggestion was that um, Chelsea might get a bit of credit for for highlighting what had happened, but they're unlikely to get a complete pass. Uh, and as I say, it would it, it's no it, it doesn't take too much um, to work out that that it would be much easier to levy charges against them than against Manchester City. Yeah, it's all. Yeah, I mean, or punishments rather than charges. Yeah, it's just you know, you know, what's really annoying to me about City and the whole contract of this is I don't want to know the names of like high-priced British lawyers. I just don't. <laughs> I barely want to know the names of high-priced American ones, but I consume them because it's the culture I live in, right? Like, I don't need to know who Alan Dershowitz's equivalent is in the UK, which apparently I found out it's a man named Lord Paddock, and like again, don't need this information, like. <laughs> Probably like, you know, congrats. My ninth birthday has now left my head. Right. We definitely don't need to do that. So so on Newcastle then, um, what we you, you already talked in, in the uh, the Arsenal part about potential formation with Jones, Endo, and Sabozlai uh in midfield. Any any other I I mean I I think you also talked about a front line, right? Of of uh Jota. Yeah, I would do Jota, Nunez and uh um, now, there is a few interesting lineup content, contentions, right? So Alexis McAllister returned to training today, but I could see McAllister possibly starting from the bench and then, use, and then using the FA Cup and League Cup to get him back up to fitness. Jota is coming off a long-term injury, so the question is, are we actually going to start him or are we going to use him off the bench? I still imagine he's going to come off the bench. I would rather start him. Um and then I think in the back line, the only decision that you make differently from the Burnley game is you probably start Ibu over Jarrell Kwanzaa. Yeah. Um, as good as Kwanzaa is, I think we should manage his fitness because he is 20 and it's his first time playing the Premier League season or in a first team. But uh, Jarrell Kwanzaa is fantastic. Um, big fan here. And, uh, you know, just think, you know, let's make sure we manage his development well. Um, we are going to need him in the second half of the season because he's our – he's. Right now, I mean, he's our third center back. This is another reason we need another defender. This is like 
Yeah. We need to find a way to return Joe Gomez to the defensive rotation as far as like covering right back and covering left back. Because we have no fullback cover at the moment at all. Right. So the best of the fullback cover, I think, is uh, Connor Bradley. And I mean, he's just not played in the football. Um, yeah. He's, I mean, Connor Bradley is a decent footballer, but again, like, played how many minutes above League One? Yep. Yeah. I, mean, I, I do think the times when he's played, um, he's looked more he's looked more comfortable i mean to be fair to him when he's played in like the big big lads lineup um i think he has looked more at home uh, i think they all looked a little off in that union saint gilois game that he played what uh six twenty and unders yeah i think i mean i think bradley is the one who offers you the, the fewest teething pains because he does have a season as a senior professional underneath him and in, in, in that season you know considering it was league one he looked a golfing class to league one players at the age of I think, 18 or 19. So I'm less worried about him. Yeah. Well, we've had so many um, like loans that haven't really gone very well. And he was player of the season um, for, was it Bolton? Uh, and, and they won a trophy. Uh, yeah. And he's a you know, full international for, for Northern Ireland, but still he's playing international football. So he, he understands what it's like to play football against men. That's, that's what's important, right? Like it's, because so much of it is going to be about the physicality of it. And like League One is physical as hell. So yeah, I'm, I'm less worried about him. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we have a ton of lineup just lineup choices. I think it's for now, make it through as long as we can until players start coming back. Because Robertson should be back this month towards the end of it. Tiago eventually might actually reappear. I'm not holding my breath. Um, yeah. Well, again, there was some news on that today. I think uh, Tiago's not available. But he is in training, mm -hmm. uh, and he made some really weird comments about Bacetic saying, "Well, he could train fully tomorrow, but then might have to take five months off." <laughs> so I don't know what that meant. <laughs> I, yeah, I think it's Bacetic is probably having growth issues, and they don't want to repeat mistakes yeah. made with other yeah. players. That's that that he, he referred to growth issues. Yeah, yeah. So so okay, Newcastle. Um, what what do you I guess predict hope for? I think we're going to win two 0 You know? Yeah. I could see this being comfortable. I, mean, I think with all our games, you know, we score early, you know, like we did against Burnley, and then score again, and it doesn't get disallowed. It'll all be fine. Um, but I, I could see them trying to sit deep and uh, try and uh, try and kind of hold us off and hit us on the break. Um, but uh, the way I think Virgil and uh, Allison are playing, that becomes a lot harder to do against us um, than than it perhaps was certainly was last year. Okay, uh, I, I'd, I'd take a two nil. Uh, yeah, obviously take a uh, a bigger score, um, but uh, I don't know. I'll take the three points, however we can get them. At yes. This point. Do we want Eddie Howe to be fired though? You know, that's that's the kind of because if if this was a big defeat, they've got Man City coming up apparently after that, uh, and in between a cup tie at Sunderland, which feels like an absolute no win for them because of course you should beat Sunderland, um, yeah. but if they didn't, well, um, yeah. Do I want Eddie Howe fired? The answer to this question is undoubtedly yes. <laughs> oh, but then they might get someone good. Eventually, they're going to hire a good manager. Newcastle is eventually going to make waves and actually compete for the league. Like, yeah. I want them to stumble as much as they can until they do, and also then like actual like real rules that act that enforce you know actual finan like financial uh, parity to be put in. 
But in the absence of those two things happening, because I don't see them happening anytime soon, I want to gain my joy from watching Eddie Howe get get sacked because of um, just how much of a dipshit he is. Very unlikable man. Uh, yes, yes. He does come across as... Um... Like, the, I mean, almost ideal for them in, in terms of like coming off as plain vanilla. I know nothing about anything that's going on about my employer. Yeah, 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 and and, and yeah. lots of disingenuous comments. Uh, like, did, didn't he at the end of the where we beat them two one? You know, it's like uh, I've ne I've never seen you know, I've never seen time added all like that before. It's like, and I think they had played in a game the previous week where they had time added on. Yeah, it's because they were just diving all over the place. Like, you know, if Fabio Carvalho only gave me that as a Liverpool moment, I'm fine with it. I can live yep. with it. Yeah. So, well, well, what if Fabio will be back anyway? So let's let's leave Newcastle there. A couple a couple of different things before we wrap up. Um, there was a there was an article last week which talked about tactical fouling, and and if you haven't read it, you'll be shocked by this. But apparently, the two teams referenced up for tactical fouling were Liverpool and and Arsenal, um, and then they showed the number of fouls given through week. I think it was week seventeen, um, and lo and behold, very interesting. Uh, like City and Arsenal were around one hundred and sixty fouls been given against them across the course of the 23-24 season so far. We were at 202, which was in the same ballpark as Burnley, Luton, and Sheffield United. Um, I think that there's two things that possibly could explain this, right? I think that we're viewed as a pressing high physicality team. So I think the teams already think that we're playing on – I think the referees already think, all right, we're pl they're playing on the edge as is. They don't realize that actually, you know, it's a team of choir boys. Um, yep. But also at the same time, like – I also just think that there's probably some. I think there's bias within the referees against uh, Liverpool. Anyway, yeah. I think that we have seen this, and I think that it's not helpful that Howard Webb and the historical bias that he carries against Liverpool is, you know, in charge of refereeing to begin with. Oh, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's just another data point, right? Which says yeah. seem to find it easier to give fouls against us. Uh, and and soft yellows, and that was my reference to the Trent yellow. Um, and then in the um, in the in the Burnley game, you know, it's not even a foul. And then the Salah yellow in the Arsenal game, which might have been a foul, but a yellow card, really. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm not sure. So well, something to look out for, anyway, as we move forward. Um, yeah, <laughs> Choir Boys is much more close to up kind of think where we are than. Uh, uh, tactical foulers and I can't believe a piece that was talking about uh, tactical fouling didn't include an extensive analysis of Rodri um, but it didn't uh, it was interesting yeah I mean we, we've won what the fair play league multiple times under yeah, Klopp yeah yeah and this season we probably won't win it thanks to a lot of very doubtful yellows and reds right That's, uh... yeah I mean what we've had four reds four reds Two of them I'll say that I think are no doubters. The Virgil one, because it's a last man. And the I'll say that I think the Curtis one against Spurs probably is. My issue isn't so much giving that one red, it's that they're not calling those consistently. Yeah, yeah. Like if your foot goes over the ball, don't care if it slips or not, it's dangerous. It should be a red card. Yeah. 
photo repository. Well, I think the, the interesting thing about that one, not to revisit the whole thing, is that his foot was actually on the ball, whereas a bunch of these that they haven't given as reds or you know in the replays, the ball's been nowhere near the uh Yeah, exactly. But like I, I understand the logic behind why you give Curtis's. I think it's just you have to call that more every frequently yeah. and you either you either don't call it or you call it. Right. Like it can't be yeah. just like it, it can't be inconsistent. But like the uh the Jato one against Spurs is laughable because the first and second yellows are just ridiculous. And then obviously the McAllister one that was rescinded was never but was was you know, it was a yellow yeah. card. Nothing more. Yeah. Just a couple more things. Uh in terms of data, our friend Andrew Beasley uh, uh put out a, a a table yesterday was very interesting talking about how hard it is to remain unbeaten at home um and since 2016 since uh, Jurgen Klopp arrived it's only five teams that's what seven eight seasons uh five teams have gone unbeaten at home through a season since 2016 uh and only one of them was not Liverpool uh, which was Tottenham in the 2016-17 season which I think as you pointed out was when they were still at White Hart Lane yeah, yeah. And it's funny that people like that opposing supporter spaces, you know, go in and say, uh, you guys did nothing. Anfield did nothing to us. It's like, it's very obvious <laughs> that Anfield has the impact. Yeah. Like it's a tough place to play football. And like, yeah. Can the atmosphere occasionally be crap? Yeah. I've been to Anfield in a crap atmosphere, you know, early kickoffs give crap atmospheres. <laughs> and sometimes you actually need things to happen in a game to give you an atmosphere, but it's still a very difficult place to play. And people trying to minimize how difficult a place it is to play are uh, getting it wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and where we are this season is there are two teams left, I think, with uh, with, with unbeaten uh, records at home. Uh, one of which is Villa, who nearly lost theirs, I think, at the weekend against Sheffield United. And obviously, there's there's us. Uh, and long may that continue. But that is that is pretty phenomenal. Um, yeah. Does does uh, I don't think anyone who pays occasional visits to Anfield and sees Liverpool win um, should be very grateful to somebody, whatever their belief system is, um, that that you know, as much as you can guarantee anything, a Liverpool win at home is 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 as close as it's possible to get in uh, in, in professional football. It's really creeping near the death and taxes uh, kind of. Thing. Right, right, right. Yeah, it, it it is an incredible record. Um, before we go, any any other business? We we slagged off enough of uh, other teams. We barely gave Chelsea a mention, and they're back apparently. United are back. I don't actually want to flag off on other teams. I actually want to bring up something that both LFCNY did and that Delaware did. Mm -hmm. um, successful recent food drives. Um, I think it's really important, you know, that we Good. considerably, you know, we highlight that the you know the communities that we are building in this country around this club. Um, do you understand and connect to the ethos of you'll never walk alone? And uh, it's something I really appreciate. And it's something that I, you know, I, I love I love seeing uh, across supporters clubs everywhere is, uh, you know, doing things for the communities you're in, because it's it's more than just about, you know, getting together, having a few pints and watching a football match. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in fact, um, I think the the, the highlights of um, kind of the year watching Liverpool without Liverpool winning was the United game where you know, we were able to collect uh, more food than we'd ever done before. And I think we probably had the biggest crowd since the pandemic uh, come out to, to, to watch that game. Um, and and there, there was a real real sense of, of community, uh, which I, I know um, 
you you've experienced uh probably more often than we have yeah no i mean we we also had probably i think our most successful food drive ever um you know we we actually had enough food as to where the place that we bring food to told us that you have to start moving some of this into the second room right which has never happened like usually like which is you know i'm i'm, I'm humbled by that i you know it's it's a testament to how it's a testament to the fact that, you know, we have members who really understand that uh, they're fortunate and that they can help the less fortunate. And, you know, it's, that's that. And I think that's a huge reason of why we do what we do. Agree. Um, we can't beat that. We're going to end it there. Justin, um, thank you so much. Uh, really always good to, to chat. Um, we will be back after the Newcastle game. Uh, thank you, dear listener, for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share with a friend. Follow us at First Day Copites on Twitter. We only tweet and retweet from sources we think are credible. Finally, music is courtesy of Hypnotic. They're a Welsh electro pop band, and you can find them at https colon forward slash forward slash hyperfollow.com forward slash hypnotic. Hypnotic is H Y P E N O T I C. Thanks so much to them. <laughs>